ought to come out of uh, the holiday that we have here in this country, Thanksgiving, time when most people don't even understand. You know, last week I read some of the proclamations from uh, Washington and Lincoln, and and at least in those proclamations, we're, we're giving thanks to God, and we're calling for a time for the people of the nation to give thanks to Him for His mercies, for His love, for all of His benefits, I think both of them said. And so today, uh, our our focus is going to be on the glory of God. And it was as we look to Him, and and we're going to read in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And Kenny, this is, in the Greek, all one sentence. (laughs) <laughs> it's all one sentence. It's uh, uh, in the Greek, 202 words. And it's as if uh, the Apostle Paul gets talking about his Lord and giving praise to his Lord and he can't contain himself and he can't stop and he keeps running on and on and on. And I love it when the Apostle Paul does that, don't you? So let's read uh, verse 3 through 14. And, and as I do read this, and since I've already told you what what the... The focus of this sermon is going to be pay attention uh, to a couple of the phrases that we're going to come through. One is going to be in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. And then we get down a little bit farther into 12 and, and 14, to the praise of His glory. And child of God, we're involved in this. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. All the glory of God, but all... What's our, what, what do we do in giving glory to Him? And so let's read Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to the good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before You and just and just say, Lord, we give thanks. 
For your great love, we've talked about it already. And Lord, you are the great God worthy to be praised. And so now, Lord, open our eyes that we might see what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not make us. For Christ's sake and in His name I pray. Amen. So, perhaps from time to time, there's just questions that we need to ask ourselves. You know, Kenny asked about the love of God. Well, to the born-again believer, I would ask this question. Why were we chosen before the foundation of the world? Why? Why did God adopt us into His family by Jesus Christ? Why? Why would God make known to us the mystery of His will? I believe the answer would be, and I... And you know what the focus is going to be, and I and I pointed out in particular three phrases there. I believe the answer would be so that we might be and live to the praise of the glory of His grace. That we might be and live to the praise of His glory. That's why we're here. So turn to Isaiah for just a moment. Isaiah 43, this is... This text, you can read the whole chapter and, and, and before and after. Later, I'm going to pull two verses out. And we know that this text deals with God's Old Testament people, Israel. Now, I believe that we can apply this text to us today, uh, to the people of God today, the born-again believers, those who follow Christ as Savior and Lord. And you're going to see in these two verses what I'm talking about. So the first verse, Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now, thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Now, can I say that to born-again believers today? Yes. I mean, that's... He's created us. We are not our own. We're, We're the sheep of His pastor. He has created us. He has formed us. He has redeemed us. And He has called us by our name. You know, and I've heard it said, and, and I don't know, uh, that Jesus, when He was standing there before Lazarus' tomb, remember He called Him by name. And I've heard people say, if He hadn't have done that, what would have happened? They, they, they said that everyone there would have come forth. The whole cemetery, or the whole whatever you called it back then, would have been empty. They would have all come, but Jesus specifically called Him by name. And child of God, born again believer, one day He called you by name. He called you by name into His glory and grace by His great love through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now let, let's go to verse 7. I'm going to drop down to verse 7 again. You can go and you can read all this later. Maybe someday we will preach a sermon or a series uh, from this. But today we're just focusing on the glory of God. Verse 7, Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory. Why were we created? What did God say? For my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. What an amazing text. I think that makes it very clear why the children of God are on the face of this planet. Why we were created. Whom I have created for my glory. He created us for his glory. God's great aim in creating and governing the world is that he be 
glorified. I created you for my glory. I formed you. I made you. Second uh, Thessalonians, first chapter. Second Thessalonians, first chapter, verses eleven and twelve. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. And and so often I I think the ESV or the NESB says work of faith by His power. In verse 12, why? That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, to the praise of His glory, the glory of God. How would we define the glory of God? You know, Kenny asked how we would define the love of God. Well, how would we define the glory of God? How could you do that? I'm going to let John Piper try to do it. Let me quote from what he said. The glory of God is the beauty and excellence of His manifold perfections. It is an attempt to put into words what God is like in His magnificence and purity. It refers to His infinite and overflowing fullness of all that is good. The term might focus on His different attributes from time to time, like His power and wisdom and mercy and justice, because each one is indeed awesome and beautiful in its magnitude and quality. But in general, God's glory is the perfect harmony of all His attributes into one infinitely beautiful and personal being. Uh, When I read that, I was like, that, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? God's glory is the perfect harmony of all His attributes into one infinitely beautiful and personal being. Think on this. When God says that He created us for His glory, does that mean that He created us so that He would become more glorious, that His beauty and perfection would somehow be increased by us? No. No. Don't ever think that. Don't ever think that. Don't ever go there. God was perfectly glorious from before time began. That There was no beginning There'll be no ending. God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is everlasting. And we can't increase anything of the attributes of God. He has always existed. He has always been perfect. We sing a song. We didn't do it this morning. But from time to time, there's a lyric that said, that says, He is not a God in need of anything we can give. By His plan. That's just the way it is. You see, that that's it. We, we can't add anything to God, but we can give Him praise and glory and adoration. So I believe this. What, is this, what does it mean to say that God created us for His glory? What, what would I say? It means that God created us to display His glory. Can I say that? He created us to display His glory. We know His creation displays His glory. And I believe His children, that we are created to display His glory. That is, that His glory might be made known and that His glory might be praised 
through His children to the praise of His glory. So may the children of God live to the glory of God that we would make known that God is glorious. That the life we live would bring glory to God. I believe that's that's what all this is. All this is talking about. This is that challenge for each and every one of us to examine ourselves and examine our lives. And am I living my life to the glory of God? And child of God, are you? Are you? What Jesus say in Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. See, may we live in such a way that others see our good works, our good deeds, and give glory not to us, don't pat us on the back, but but give glory to God the Father. Do I always do that? Do you always do that? I'm going to answer for you. No, you don't. We are, we are imperfect yet on this earth. We are still, our, our righteous standing for, before God is secure. It, it's an inheritance that is being kept by the power of God and nothing can take that away. But while yet on this earth, who, who's the prince of the, the ruler of this earth, of the prince of the power of the air? Satan's like a roaring lion going to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, trying to disrupt, bring strife into the life of an unbel- of a believer. So we have these temptations, these fiery darts, that while we're still in this flesh, still on the face of this planet that we have to deal with. And all, may we desire and may we strive to live our lives in such a way that it would bring glory to God. And I want to go to Romans, the fourth chapter today. And I know this is a a portion of Scripture that probably throughout the years we've looked at from time to time, but, but I believe it is good to look at it again today. Uh, in Romans 4, this is Paul's account of, of God's promise to Abraham. And the main body of what we're going to be talking about will begin in verse 16. But, but don't forget, that this. I love this whole chapter, and we're going to get back to the book of Romans, and we'll get to probably chapter 4 sometime next year. Uh, but, but this chapter is about justification by faith. That's what this chapter's about. And, and so as we... As we do that, that it's about having a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that is credited to us by faith apart from works. That, that's, if I could give a theme for Romans chapter 4, it would be that. And, and I've read Galatians 2.16 quite a lot. Anytime I talk about this, it seems like I go, let's look at Galatians 2.16 before we get back into Romans 4. Uh, talking about, justification by faith, not of works. And this is what Paul said in Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified, not justified, not made right before God. If To put it simply, can I do it that way? Made right before God. The, the righteous judge. That, that our sins, that which was against us, cannot be work, uh, uh, erased by the works of men. 
We must be justified by God. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Oh, well, I I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, good for you. Do you know Jesus? Have you been born again? Oh, but, but but I followed the Ten Commandments. That's great. Do you know Jesus? Because you cannot be justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Always keep that in mind. Justified, made righteous before God by faith. Romans 4, verse 13. Romans 4, 13. For the promise that He would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through what? Righteousness of faith. That, that Coming back to everything we just said so far leading up to this. This, this, this is all kind of an add-on to <laughs> talking about the glory of God, I guess. But, but is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes, it is. It's good for me to be reminded. The promise given to Abraham and in turn to, to us, given to us, comes through the righteousness of, righteousness of faith. That is, through the righteousness of God credited to our account through faith. Let's read. Begin in verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also of those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, before we're going further, I want to stop for a moment. I don't want there to be any confusion here. Those who are of the law, in this context, means believing Jews. Those that have come out of that, that realm, uh, believing Jews. And those who are of the faith of Abraham, I believe, refers to believing Gentiles. Uh, Believers both of the the circumcised and the uncircumcised. That's, That's what this is talking about. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are under the law. Because remember what it just said, no one will be justified by the law. So, so it can't be talking about those who are only under the law and only living according to the law. This is talking about those believing Jews. Let's go down to verse 17 and 18. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be now i'll get very basic here what was the promise given to abraham well that, that he would be the father of many nations well how can that be because they had no kids and he was getting up into years well the 
the, the promise would be that he and Sarah would have a son, an heir through which the Messiah would come. But, but there seemed to be this real roadblock, right? There seemed to be something that was contrary to hope. If I could put it that way, it's contrary to hope. Abraham was old, Sarah was barren. They had been able to have children up to this point. And so without the birth of Isaac, the promise of Abraham would have failed. See, Isaac did not exist at this time. And at this time, humanly could not. Abraham was nearly 100 years old at the time. Sarah was 90, I believe, in the 90s and barren for life. She never had kids. So human works and resources had been tried. A concubine named Hagar and a son named Ishmael. Abraham was going to help God out. And it's as though God said, No! The promise will be fulfilled by my sovereign grace to do the humanly impossible. See, this miraculous birth of Isaac must be, as verse 16 said, a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. And and I believe that the supernatural birth of Isaac is a picture of how God creates children of promise. You and me. Galatians. Let's go back to Galatians for just a moment. Galatians 4. Uh, Read verse 22 through 24. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which, which things are symbolic. For those are the two covenants, the, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So here is talking of the two covenants, the covenant of Hagar and Ishmael, which represents the covenant of law and works, which leads to wrath and destruction. No one shall be justified by the works of the law. The other covenant, the covenant of Sarah and and Isaac, represents the covenant of grace and faith, which leads to forgiveness, peace with God, and everlasting life. If we drop down to verse 28... Paul says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Talking of the born-again believers. See, every child of God is born again or born as a child of promise. Not like Ishmael, born only of flesh and human effort. And, And I always think of John 1, verses 10 through 13 when I consider that. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But listen, now listen. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And you may read that and go, what do you mean, born not of blood? What was that talking about? Everybody, we have blood when we're born, we have blood. So here's what it's talking about, is, is meaning born not of ethnic heritage, not of a bloodline, you see. 
Because there are many today that thinks that they're on their way to heaven just because of the family that they were born in or, or of their nationality. But that's not it. That's not it. Who are born not of blood, not of ethnic heritage, born not of personal will, not of any system of man, but of God, born of the Spirit. A, a miracle of grace. Y'all love that lyric, born of the Spirit. Now I can see all of the treasure you've given to me. Before we were born of the Spirit, it was all foolishness. But when God the Father, through Christ Jesus' Son, opens our eyes, that miracle of grace, then we can see. Then we can see. Grace does what human resources cannot do. Grace does what human resources cannot do. I, I'm gonna before we get into Romans, I want to go into Ephesians two. It's been I think it's been a while since we've read this. Just a refresher one more time of what it says. Romans or Ephesians two verses one through nine. And you, child of God, born again believer, and you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You see, everyone I was sitting here, we either once were or still are. There's only two categories. The believer and the unbeliever. The saved and the unsaved. There's no in between. So you either once were or you still are what Paul just talked about. But for those that we can say that used to be me. That was me. Verse 4. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, the promise is according to grace. It's according to grace. Abraham believed God's promise, though, though he doesn't understand the how. Even though he was a participant in years past of trying to press God's hand by human effort, it seems that now Abraham believes that God can do the humanly impossible. Let's get back to Romans 4, verse 19. This is talking of Abraham now. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Let me pause. God had made a promise. And he's not thinking can't can't be can't be 
I'm 100 years old. She's old. Her womb is dead by now. She can't give birth to a child. He's not sitting there saying all of this, or at least at this point. But he has heard the promise of God. Abraham believes. Verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he, what God had promised, he, God, was able to perform. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe that what God has promised in this book, in His Word, He is able to perform every word of it? He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what He had promised He was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to Him, to Abraham, for righteousness. Why? Because Abraham believed. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that it was given to him, but also for us. Now, does the Word of God speak throughout the years, throughout the generations? Yes, it does. And it speaks to us today if we would but listen. Now, it was written... Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that righteousness that was given imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him. What will be imputed to us who believe? The righteousness of God. Because, because what is all of our righteousnesses? Nothing but filthy rags before the Lord. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of of our justification. Now we sang that song, my sin upon His shoulder, as He was on the cross. Delivered up because of my offenses. Put yourself in the verse. And was raised because of my justification. Abraham believed. He did not waver, but truly believed. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And yet today, for all who believe, righteousness imputed to us. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him. Raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. To all who by grace through faith believe and receive Christ, those who truly call upon the name of the Lord in true repentance, they will be imputed with God's righteousness, granted and given the righteousness of God. Then the eternal question, the most important question on the face of this planet, do you believe? You've heard You can't be justified by works. You've heard you can't be justified by by the law. That it must be according to grace, through faith. And do you believe? Oh yeah, I believe. What do you believe? What do you believe? Is your belief nothing more than the belief of demons who, who tremble? Because they know what their end is going to be someday. 
or is your belief unto true righteousness and salvation? Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And I talk about it so often. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that is one day going to come upon all unbelievers. The unsaved. Those who are of the law and the law only. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. There it is again. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. So there's, no, there's no split. There's no this covenant and then there's that covenant. But, but the wall of separation has been torn down and through Jesus Christ upon the cross. There's either the saved or the unsaved, the believer or the unbeliever. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. My prayer is that some Sunday morning this is going to penetrate the heart and mind of someone who the Lord perhaps at at a moment such as this would shine light into darkness and they would have no other recourse but to just cry out, Lord, forgive me, I believe. That's my prayer. Don't you want to see that? Let's read that Romans 4, verse 20 and 21 one more time. Romans 4, 20, 21. He, Abraham, did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. What what brought glory to God? The obedience and the believing of Abraham. And Abraham being strengthened in faith. This, this is Abraham giving glory to God through his life, through his believing, and not wavering. And so then, child of God, how can we bring glory to God? In our lives. Living a life that does not waver at the promises of God. Each and every promise of God. Being fully convinced that what God has promised, He is able to perform. That we would never waver. That that word translated waver means to vacillate between two opinions. I believe the King James Version says to stagger. Stagger. That we would not flip-flop between faith and doubt. And do we do that? Do I do that? Yes, I do. I'm going to answer for you. You do too. Preacher, you shouldn't be answering for me. Well, I know it's true. And I believe that, that we must recognize, this This is a part that we, we need to come to grips with and, and recognize that it's a reality when we flip-flop between faith and doubt. That is what I believe Apostle Paul was talking about, the, the fight of faith. That is fighting that good fight of faith. That is fight between either believing or not believing a promise of God. 
See, every one of us fights against some sin or multitude of sins every day. And I'm under the belief that all sins come from an unbelief in the promise of God. Some promise of God. Worry. Is worry a sin? See, we don't don't like calling worry a sin because we know we all do it at some time in our life. But it is. Because the Word of God says, do not worry. And so why do we worry? Because we are we are staggering between faith and doubt. See, whether it's a struggle with pride, anxiety, lust, bitterness, or whatever sin it may be, I believe that it sprouts from a root of unbelief, not trusting a promise of God. Because we can go to and get a verse for every one of those things I just mentioned where the child of God could go to and find strength in the truth found in God's Word. And so what's the problem that I have from time to time? And I'm going to say that you do too. There are times when we stagger. There are times when we waver. But Abraham came to the point, and hopefully at some time in the midst of that staggering and wavering, we will come to the point of hearing the truth and remembering the truth we stop wavering and we believe the promise of God. Do we glorify God the Father when we trust His promises and believe? Yes, we do. Why do we live and exist? That we might live to the praise of His glory. That others might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 You knew I was probably going to read this sometime today. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That that little verse sums it up, doesn't it? But it covers everything in our life. From the moment we arise in the morning until we lay our head down at at night, may the Lord's name be glorified in our lives. Understand this, glorifying God is not merely an act of worship on Sunday. It's our life. 24-7. Should be. Should be. And and this glorifying life that, that we live, always understand this, that, that we must live it. Yeah, even as I'm getting ready to say this, I can hear John Piper and he's talking about this. We, we must live it not of our own strength, but in the strength that He supplies. And I know that sounds like a contradiction because I must do these things, but I must do them in a way that is God-honoring and according to His Word and do it without wavering. Trusting Him. A daily surrender. A looking to Jesus daily. Taking up our cross daily. Surrendering to Him the author and finisher of our faith, not leaning on our own understanding, but going and ministering and doing in the strength and the ability that He supplies. So what's that mean? That means we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to be reading His Word. We're going to have to be listening to Him as He gives us direction for the day. First Peter 4, verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, 
Let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, there are unbelievers that can do a lot of good things, can't they? There, there are a lot of people in this old world that are as lost as lost can be and are very benevolent with their money and giving and helping and doing things. Is that bringing glory to God? No. No, it's, it's doing good. It's, it's helping out some people that, uh, maybe that are in need. But to bring glory to God, true glory to God, it must be from the heart of a true believer and doing those things in, in the strength and the ability that He provides. I found this illustration, and if you can bear to listen, just listen. There is a man who wakes up in the morning and looks up into heaven and says, You are worthy to be glorified today, Lord. But there is in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing. I have no strength, no wisdom, no resolve to do good, but what comes undeserved from You. Oh God. And I love You. It would be my greatest fulfillment, my highest pleasure, my richest treasure, if at the end of this day, I would believe that someone has come to cherish your power and wisdom and love more intensely because of me. God, let it be. And then he looks over and sees his Bible. And on his Bible, there is this strange contraption of straps like a harness. Now on the back of this harness, there is a rope attached that, that runs up through the roof and into heaven. And he gets up, straps on the harness, gives a little jerk on the rope, and leans into it. And God supports him all day. On the broad brown leather strap across the front of the harness, you can see the lettering, My harness is easy, and my burden is light. God gets the glory not from our heroic exertion, but from our reliance upon His strength when we serve as one who serves with the strength which God supplies. End quote. As Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, most of our translation would say yoke, but he, he turned it a different way, didn't he? Take my yoke upon you. His burden is light. When we go in the strength that He supplies, will we be able to accomplish everything that He has for us for the day? Yeah. Yeah, in His strength. In His strength. So may we live for His glory within the strength and ability which He supplies, and may we not waver in unbelief at the promise of God. May we not lose heart. But look to Jesus. And again, we just came out of the Thanksgiving holiday. So I want to close with this. Let's go. Uh, we read it last week. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 15 through 17. 
the Apostle Paul says, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose hope. Now let me pause there for a minute. Therefore, we do not waver. Therefore, we do not vacillate between two opinions. Therefore, we do not stagger. Why? Because we're looking to God and His promises and we are giving thanksgiving to Him. And that thanksgiving abounds to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose hope. Even though our outward man is perishing... And the older I get, I realize that is very true. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the spiritual man, (laughs) is being renewed day to day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Let me pause there. What's the things that are seen? (laughs) It's everything. It's everything. It's also the, the trials, the tribulations, the persecutions. Those things that would come into our life. And and while we don't look at those things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen and what's not seen. Oh the promise the, the the promises of God, the, the, the looking to, to, to Christ, whom, whom we have not seen, but we love. But the things which are not seen, the spiritual things. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So may we live in light of the present glory of God and hope in the glory that is yet to come. Amen. The glory that awaits us when we're finally there one day, as you talked about, brother, that we're there one day with Him. Then then, then we'll know more, won't we? We'll know more then. It'll all sink in then. We will know Him as we're there in His presence, in His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give thanks for Your Word, for it is truth. It, It is sustenance. For our very soul, it is food for our souls. Come and partake of the water. Come, take of the bread of life. Father, teach us to come and dine at your table. So Lord, I pray that in the midst of the word that was presented today, that that, Lord, you have spoken to hearts and drawn people closer to you. That you've given us a better understanding of of how we should live, just a reminder, Lord, of how we should live, and that we would live in obedience to Your Word, and that we would not waver at Your promises. And Lord, as as we would do that, people would see our good works, our good deeds, and and then give You glory. So, Father, help us, the children of God, that we may do that. And Lord, should there be one who would hear this sermon, and yet be lost, far from You still in their sin, still on their way to hell, and to become the recipient of Your wrath, Lord, I pray that You might open their eyes, that they might see. Shine light into a dark place. Breathe life into a 
into death. Grant them faith to believe. Grant them repentance as they would turn to you confessing sins and turning from their sin and following Christ as they believe and receive Christ. So Father, we just ask that you would perform a miracle that only you can do and give a gift of salvation to someone, I pray. And it's in Christ's name I do pray. Amen. Amen.